Hi, beautiful listeners. Welcome to the Teacher Healer podcast, where we get to geek out on all things education and heal the world at the same time. Rachel Dubois is an experienced facilitator and teaching artist with a Bachelor of Performing and Screen Arts. She's also an actor, theatre practitioner and filmmaker. Rachel uses the principles of storytelling, improvisation, adaptability and collaboration to help groups work together more creatively and cohesively and find ways to connect to their bodies, their intellect and imagination within professional and learning contexts. She has a particular fascination with personal story and spent a significant number of years working in playback theatre, which is where I came to know her. Listen to Rachel speak about the power of drama and play to bring people together in their messy humanness and learn to have fun. Hear loads of powerful stories and learn techniques for injecting a little drama into your classroom. Hi, Rachel. Thanks for joining me today on the Teacher Healer podcast. Thanks for having me. I'm very excited to talk to you because I'm a drama teacher myself and you're a drama practitioner, theatre practitioner. I know that you've worked with students before in various capacities and I feel like there's this secret that people who work in theatre know that other people don't know. (laughs) And I want to have a chat with you to share some of those secrets um they're not very mysterious to us but I feel like they're a bit mysterious to other people and if there's teachers out there wondering why the drama teacher is always the popular one we're we're about to shed a little bit of light on that (laughs) sounds good sounds good so I thought to help the audience get to know you a bit um would you just be able to share a little bit about your professional background Um, And it would be great if you could cover a little bit about um, playback theatre and what that involves, because that's been quite a chunk of your career as well. Yeah, thank you. So um, um, my whakapapa, my ancestry is from the UK. My my parents moved from England to New Zealand as teenagers and they met in Aotearoa. And so I'm a first generation New Zealander and I grew up in Tamaki Makoto, Auckland, um, I did drama at high school, towards the end of high school, and then I um, just kind of followed my curiosity. I never had dreams of being an actor or a drama person, but I really enjoyed it, and I ended up um, being accepted into the local drama school in Auckland, which was called Unitech at the time. So that was where I did my degree. I came out of there and I made some theatre, did some shows, bit of professional, bit of you know, me and my mates making some stuff and performing in strange venues, you know, as you do. And then um, I moved to Melbourne a couple of years after I'd graduated and um, really more to kind of spread my wings and explore the world than pursue acting. But I ended up making work there anyway with some friends and um, did some shows in like the Fringe and Brisbane Festival And then I joined Melbourne Playback Theatre Company, which for me kind of opened up a really big, amazing world um, because I was sort of struggling at the time with the relevance of theatre because I was going to shows and I was doing shows and going, why, you know, theatre can struggle to get audiences. And I was always wondering kind of why, what's the relevance of all of this? And then the first Mm. time I saw Playback Theatre, I just... I felt so connected to the people in the audience and to the storytellers in the performance itself. And I just came out of there really, really wanting to be a part of that. So um, should I explain what playback is at this point? Yeah, I think so. Yeah. Because a lot of people won't know. Yeah. So playback theatre is an improvised form of theatre. It's sort of semi-improvised actually. But basically the the performance is a team of actors and one or two musicians and a facilitator and the facilitator kind of holds the show and hosts it in a way and the performing team don't know what the show is at the start of the show because all of the content and the stories that make up the show 
come directly from the audience. So the facilitator invites people into sharing stories, usually around a theme or some kind of topic, um, real stories and experiences of theirs. And um, we'll hear from one storyteller at a time. And after each person has shared their experience, then that story is handed to the performers who then turn that story into an improvised performance for the same audience, you know, in real time. And it's not just kind of acting out the story. It's delving into the essence of that story, using lots of metaphor and genre to kind of bring it to the sort of more theatrical um, level, I guess, but also to, to name and embody and express the undercurrents of the story that might be the things that are sort of swelling underneath that are unspoken and to really kind of hit the emotional truths within that story so and then we'll go back to the storyteller Mm -hmm. for their kind of final word and then move on to the next story and it's this beautiful process where you find that stories will answer stories and you sort of build this um, mosaic of the people in that room in that moment so it's completely unique for that group of people on that particular day or evening or you know piece of time so um yeah I totally loved it I spent 10 years with that company um I I was an actor a facilitator um the artistic director eventually um and kind of did you know you do all the jobs in theatre companies so (laughs) I did all the things, you know, yeah. <laughs> and, you know, everything. Um, and then at the same time, while I was with Playback, I also um, became a teaching artist with The Song Room, which is an organisation based in Melbourne, but it is national. Um, and they basically get funding to place artists within schools uh, that don't have specialist arts teachers. So I did some drama programs for them and some play groups um, for ethnic minority family groups that were in Melbourne, lots of refugee and new migrant um, kind of mothers groups usually. Um, and, I'm, you know, I kept making work that was going on, at, you know, La Mama and touring a little bit and... Um, I worked with the Malthouse Theatre uh, a, a little bit and, yeah, and then COVID, you know, COVID, and then um, I had, you know, had another baby and stuff. <laughs> yeah. and anyway, decided it was time to move back to New Zealand because I always wanted to at some point, so it felt like a good time. So, yeah, early last year we, we moved back and had our second baby and now I'm kind of back here trying to work out what I'm doing. Cool. Sounds like an adventure waiting to come. <laughs> Hopefully. <laughs> it was lovely hearing you talk about playback. I was really drawn to it myself. I did a, a workshop with Playback Theatre at one point with this dream. I'd love to get into the company, but, I, you know, you've got to commit to doing a fair bit of training. <laughs> um, and I wasn't in the space at the time, but I came across that company as a drama teacher. They performed at the Drama Teachers Conference, and I was like, this was so cool. They had – the thing that I really noticed about it is um, how – funny the performances can be on one hand and then how deep they can be on the other like I have this image stuck in my head of a school that had been flooded and um, obviously there's always a little bit of trauma around being through a natural um, disaster and things but the story that came out of it basically had this teacher trying to climb up the flagpole to get reception for her phone and then there were chickens that had gotten out of the coop and it was just chaos and we were all laughing so it was a really light-hearted way to address, you know, a time in her career that was fraught with actual chaos. Um, so I just, I love it uh, as a performance. Um, yeah, it's cool. Um, so just thinking about, you were talking about doing a lot of fringe shows and, and working with La Mama and Malt House, which are, you know, two of the, best places for theatre in Melbourne, um, most reputable places, so good on you. Um, I, I have a question. So what have been some of the most powerful moments that you've experienced as a performer or an audience member in theatre? Mm. Mm. Yeah, um, that's a great question. Um, 
I mean, I, I have a few that are kind of me as a performer. I've, I've had it maybe two or three times in my in my life where I've got to this, I think you'd call it the flow state, where I literally felt like I was flying. And I, I kind of can't explain it any other way other than, you know, when everything's working and um, you're totally with the audience and they're with you and it's sort of, yeah, there's this sort of rising above <laughs> And sort of float almost an out of body, but not out of body, totally in my body, but kind of airborne somehow. Um, yeah, but but thinking about powerful moments that are more about the audience and less about me. Um, there's a few, so I think one of them is was, um, and they're all actually playback related now I think about it um because I probably just because I've done that the most but I there was one event that we had it was it was just before COVID it must have been 2018 or something um we did an international women's day event at Howler which is like a kind of like a a pub gig venue in Melbourne and Brunswick and um it was really big and normally playback shows are quite intimate and small but this one had like hundreds of people because we had a a panel and Clementine Ford was on the panel and like everyone wanted to be there it was cool really cool but you know so we had this panel of like really cool feminists not just her like there were loads of them there was four of them wonderful um women and then we did a show afterwards a playback show which was entirely made up of female performers, musicians, facilitator, and I had produced the event. And ah, what was it? I think for me it was just this moment of utter kind of feeling so at home and kind of letting – it was something about having so many feminists in one room. They weren't all women but they were feminists and I think because they'd all come for this event, they'd all self-nominated and they'd all, we could all kind of agree. There was like a sort of a baseline of we agree in feminism we think it's important. And so mm. there was kind of a a comfort and a at-homeness in that space and, um, and, you know, the wonderful thing of inviting people in to listen to Clementine Ford and then hitting them with this really cool theatre performance that they didn't expect and the audience just, like, totally went wild when the show was on because they, you know, they didn't – lots of people haven't seen playback and so it was kind of like a surprise for them, but they loved it. And the stories that were told in the playback show – were kind of the gaps that we'd had in the panel because, you know, when you put a panel together, you can't cover all the aspects of a topic. And so I remember when I curated the panel, I didn't have an LGBTQI plus representative on the panel because just I was trying to balance, you know, culture and age and gender diversity, all the stuff, and that was the one thing I just couldn't fit into these four people. And then... So then out of the audience comes a storyteller who says, you know, there's a word I haven't heard tonight. What's that? Lesbian. Great. Let's hear about that. And so this, you know, the the story was then provided. So there's this beautiful thing of it was like as a group we were painting this picture to the fullest that we could. Um, and I, I sort of personally I realised that I don't step into those feminist spaces very often. I think that was the first time I had. And so... For me, that was a a pretty cool experience. Um, Another one was um, at a playback conference, actually, in Sydney, and I just joined the company, and this was like playback theatre companies from all over Australia and New Zealand coming together and, you know, skills sharing and doing shows for each other and that sort of stuff. And um, Melbourne playback has a little bit of a reputation of being kind of Oh, <laughs> a bit um, snobby, maybe. Like people think that mm, in the playback world, which is quite small. But um, so there was a lot of pressure on our company 
because everyone says like Melbourne's the best kind of thing. And it's not really true, but um, we're good. We're very, very good. <laughs> and so there was all this pressure for like, oh, what's Melbourne playback going to do kind of thing, like this strange vibe was going on and everyone was like <laughs> on their best behavior and they're trying to be really good at what they were doing and there was, there was just a sort of discomfort in the conference and we were about to do our show it was towards the end of the conference and we we're sort of warming up and everyone was getting ready and 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 our facilitator was like okay let's go out there let's just do what we do and I was like no 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 I need more than that I need to name something. I'm I'm sensing this pressure on us to deliver something, and I'm also sensing this um, energy in this conference of people, kind of, I don't know, not acknowledging kind of the messiness of of the work that we do and the and, and of our own lives, and kind of pretending like we've all got it together. And I was like, I just want to, I want to open up that space. I want to kind of name the profound the profundity of life and so we went in there with that intention and we honestly the stories that we got I will never forget the stories that we got from that group you know we had like it was filthy like it was r18 it was dirty. <laughs> there was like sexting there was you know drugs like it was just these stories there you know there was relationship issues and like just the real stuff that people were dealing with in their lives mm. and it was like we kind of transcended like just all being playbackers and blah 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 we just kind of got to meet at this in this in our, in our own mess and kind of just you know just share it with each other and and it was fine and it was so funny and it was like really dirty and I've, I've never done such filthy playback because I guess because of the context like it was <laughs> you know there were other playbackers there was no client there was no mm. paying audience you know like it was kind of an in-house sort of thing so we could kind of go there and yeah I, that was one of those shows I had a, a flying kind of experience um and then there was one other um that's more about the audience um Again, it was playback. We were doing a show for a religious group and um, I, I'll try not to identify the religion because I think the topic is still quite um, controversial. But basically um, there's this system, very patriarchal, where if um, if a woman has been kind of abandoned by a partner that um she needs to be given like a sort of a release from him in order to move on with her life. And if she doesn't get this from him, um, she is still kind of tied to him. And so she can't remarry. She can't, um, uh, if, if she has more children with somebody else, they can't be part of the religion with her. Um, and she sort of becomes a bit of an outcast in the, in the community, I guess. Mm -hmm. And, um, and sometimes partners will disappear and they'll go overseas and just leave these women and their children and, um, or young women, you know, there's all these, you know, different outcomes that can happen, but these women are, basically in limbo for the rest of their lives and we did a show for these women and their lawyers and a bunch of religious leaders because they were going through a process of uh, kind of facing this issue and mm -hmm. so we did this show where you know these women were telling their stories some of them were well past their childbearing years they were you know into retirement and later later stages of life and the level of grief and trauma that they were carrying with them from, you know, their experience. And I guess throughout their lives there'd been no space to question this or to kind of publicly um, deal, get it dealt with. So they just sort of suffered. And so, yeah, we did this show and it was, it was difficult because um, some of the women were still going through a court process, like a religious court process to try and, get released from this thing and um you know some of them 
were their lawyers would stand up and say, you have to stop telling your story right now because you're going to incriminate yourself in the court sort of thing. And um, we were unable to to hear the deep, you know, all of the details of their stories. But what we were able to do was kind of embody their rage and in in through our theatre, <laughs> kind of scream for them and and make the make the the internal turmoil that they were going through and and had sat on for decades, kind of be seen publicly, but without them having to get up and do that, you know. So it was just one of those really, you know, interesting spaces where theatre can step into because it is that that play acting space and it is that, you know, the fool playing to the king. I mean, that isn't that is a an example of when a bunch of players can come into a highly charged political, you know, um historically fraught space and name it and play it out and you know illustrate it for the religious leaders and the lawyers and the people who are you know making the decisions in that space in a way that perhaps the people who are actually going through it can't so that yeah that was another one that comes to mind there were many like that with playback yeah yeah, I think here in those three sort of examples to me, it just sounds like it's this way theatre creates this space to come together and explore our shared humanness, isn't it? And it's quite inclusive, I think, some of those stories that you've shared because, I mean, I guess that benefit of being with people who are similar to you, um, that helps create that comfort, but at the same time, I know I've been in spaces where I haven't identified with the people in the room. For example, when I asked Playback to come and perform for me for a group that we were training, so they were in a job very unlike mine, and yet you can connect with their humanness through their stories, even if your circumstances aren't similar. So I think that's the crux of... um, part of what I wanted to explore here at Teacher Healer is this idea of like what, what how can we what's the benefit for schools and teachers and kids of going into that space where um, they can explore those elements of what it is to be a human being yeah you know? absolutely uh, yeah I've got lots of lots of thoughts on that um yeah, it's really multifaceted, isn't it? Drama, and I think that's why I think that's why some people yeah, shy away from it perhaps. And I think people get get caught up in the performance of it and that sort of anxiety around public speaking or being in the spotlight, whereas I don't really see drama in that way. Like for me, the process of the creation and the work that students or performers have to do to get to the point where you have something to show an audience, the skill building and the life skills and the the process that you go through is so rich. And then the performing kind of has a whole nother, another bunch of skills that, that can be learnt and explored Um, and they're they're kind of different, I think, but they're both really valuable. Mm. So, you know, yeah, I was just, my daughter's just started school this year and I was walking through the, um, to do pickup and talking to my neighbour and I was telling her, you know, how I am a performer and do drama and stuff and, and her immediate thought was, oh, I hate that, I hate that stuff, I hate that stuff, you know, I can't do it, and just completely shut down because, you know, she'd had one experience in school where she was thrust onto a stage to do something completely unprepared and hated it, and that was it. So that was was sort of the sum total of her experience, Mm. which 
quite sad <laughs> to think about because I think if um, if kids can be taken through through the process, and I, and I think storytelling and their personal storytelling is really a really crucial part. If that can be part of the process, they're going to get heaps more out of it, I think. I mean, you can just give them a script. That's totally fine. But um, I think the process of sharing story with your fellow students and then turning it into something or something that you're all interested in or um, finding common threads or something is a um, – that that sort of work does a lot of um, – skill building in, you know, reflection and storytelling and expression. and um, But once we get to performing and, yeah, so let's say we've, we've got a, we've got a, we've got some material because I think the devising process is like, is, can be done in many different ways, whether we've got a, you know, if we're adapting a book, we've got a play or we're using personal storytelling, whatever that is, once we've got our material and we're starting to work out how we want to present it and play with it, that's the point where students are asked to step into a character. And mm. by doing that, there's a sort of a distancing from the self. So they're no longer having to be themselves they're being the character and there's a real freeing there's a there's a there's a a leap that goes there and there's a whole lot of stuff that happens when when a performer or a child or a student whatever steps into a character and that is that they have to they have to step into the emotions of that character and they have to see the world from that character's perspective and um which means that we have to meet the character where they are and so we have to explore the emotions that they're feeling and there are so many emotions in in the human repertoire and many of them I feel are not, you know, they're not polite, they're not encouraged, they don't fit with our values or whatever because they might be darker feelings, they might be mm. anger or they might be revenge or greed or, you know, all that kind of stuff. But because you're playing and it's not you, there's a permission to feel those feelings and to explore them safely. And I think there's a real, um, there's something about giving children and adults the permission to play into those darker spaces of the human psyche with the framework around them of a story and of a play and of the distance of the character that allows us to kind of understand our own emotional landscape um, and to articulate our feelings and then therefore to regulate them. Um, and there's also like, it's fun. It's fun. The best character in a show is the baddie because they have the most fun. Well, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> cool. So it's like, the thing that you'd be punished for in normal life is now the the like high, the high ticket item in a play. Yeah, you know. So it's kind of like, and the thing is, we all we all have those feelings. We just suppress them. So I think having having the using drama, and and it doesn't have to be negative emotions. It could be like um, a character that's really bold but you're a, a, the shy kid, you know, to have the experience of being the hero when you're not usually the hero, mm. it kind of, it expands your capacity and and it opens up how you might see yourself as well because you're kind of, but it's not you, so you can kind of step out of it as well. You can you can step into that and then you can step out of it. But by doing that, you sort of expanded yourself a little bit and then you, and um yeah so that i think that that's one of the aspects of stepping into a character that i think is really valuable just as humans the other i guess the other side of it is seeing the world from the perspective of a character um it deepens our own empathy because if we're playing 
you know, they always say you have to love the character that you're playing. You can't judge them. So if you're playing the evil queen, you can't play her just as a, well, you can. You can play her as a cardboard cutout evil queen. That's fine. But if you took the time to think of, well, why is she so nasty and grumpy and vengeful? Mm-hmm. Like what's happened in her life, <laughs> you know? And yeah. tr- and find some kind of truth and then go, okay, well, when have I felt like I, you know, a bit like that? Not the same, but when have I felt a bit um, disgruntled because, you know, something wasn't fair or I didn't get what I wanted and, and then I was jealous of the person that did or, you know, that sort of, finding it within yourself in a, in a different experience, but close enough that you can kind of access that feeling. That process, I think that is a big empathy builder because then, you know, I mean, that's what empathy is, right? That is, it's seeing the world from the eyes of another and, and having, having grace and, and generosity for them where they're at, you know, and, and trying to see if you can help them, I guess. So, I think, and that's what we want from the world, right? We want people <laughs> that are empathetic because the moment when we, we don't have that empathy, that's when heaps of conflict starts arising. So I think that's another another opportunity in doing drama. Um, yeah. And then the other kind of fun thing is like, you know, I guess the physical side of theatre is that, you know, the non-naturalism, like if you move into physical theatre or you have to like be a storm, you know, like what is that in your body? And for for kids and for adults, that sort of expression sort of moving into almost into the dance realm, but it's a bit more freeform because there's no, there's no steps or, you know, form to be learnt necessarily. It's just purely, you know, what is your body being? being the sunrise or water or, you know, whatever it is, you know. So I think that's another quite fun thing, especially for kids, is to to feel that out in their bodies and experience their bodies physically but in a sort of non-PE way, you know, where it's not just like do 10 jumping jacks and crawl through a tunnel, you know, that, mm. that sort of, you know, that, that has its place and it's not, you know, it's not, it's not just hand-eye coordination, it's like, it's them expressing an idea through their body. And I think that connection to body and, and heart and mind, um, well, I personally have found it really valuable in my life um, and fun, really fun. I think fun is another massive element of drama that we probably mm. need to address because I've talked about like quite heavy stuff, but I think it's really fun. And when we can create fun experiences for kids, like they're going to be engaged, they're going to come to school, they're going to, yeah. yeah, you're going to be the popular teacher, right? Yeah. Because it's really enjoyable. You get to play games with each other. You get to work and play with with your your fellow students in a way that is focused and creative and expressive and really fun and, and can be really silly but um I mean, you would know. There's so much laughter in a in a rehearsal room, isn't there? Because, yeah, everything is accepted. Everything is okay, you know. And even the mistakes have to be worked with. Because when you're performing, if you make a mistake, you have to pretend like it wasn't a mistake, and you have to make it work, yeah. right? Yeah. So there's kind of that playfulness that even when things are kind of falling apart, you're still you keep going, and you can kind of laugh at it and maybe start again or you know so it's like there's no real right or wrong it's very open-ended and again I think in an educational context that's really valuable because I think so much of education system you know because there are so many marks that need to be hit and so many boxes to be checked and levels to be achieved and all that kind of stuff like drama is this place where you learn these incredible life skills but how you play that character or how you tell that story or how you put on that show is entirely up to you and the group of people that you're working with. There's, there's no right way and there's no wrong way. And that's, you know, that is, <laughs> I mean, that those are the skills we need our kids to have because that's innovation. You know, that's where the world of careers are going now is being able to 
to connect strange dots together and and put some put some inputs into your own mind and body and then come out with something and and innovate and create and and be kind of really proactive and using your imagination like all those things that we want our kids we need our kids to have for the for the workforce now yeah i think drama has a place to support that in a really strong way yeah I 100% agree I know in my job like you just consistently need to be flexible and adaptable and have empathy and take on other people's needs and wants and you know make it work within the framework you've got and take on the mistakes and do something good with them and there is all of that in in the job that I'm doing at the moment um and I'm sure millions of other other jobs out there so I yeah I'm like I get that little moment of frustration. I see a lot of articles of like people really backing music education and I'm a music teacher as well. And I'm really keen on music education, but this idea that music is somehow the best of the performing arts because it helps you be good at maths. I, I, I really struggle with that. (laughs) Um, And I really would like to ask music educators to stop doing that, please. It's not actually helpful for anyone and it doesn't help our students. What there's so much diversity we need our kids to be able to bring to the table, like so many ways of being and thinking and, you know, risk taking um, that Mm. the arts are all important and they all have something magnificent to offer. And like, thank you so much for articulating what that means in the drama world because you've put into words what we all know um, but don't really talk about, if I'm honest. Um, so can I ask you a question, um, getting out of the theoretical now and into a bit more of your experience, um, in your work with young people, how do you find that they've been responding to theatre and drama? Like, have you found any unexpected things coming out of that work or, um, great success stories? Um, we did a project with, um, this was with, through playback, but it wasn't playback. I think we might have used playback at the start to generate content. But we did a project in Dandenong with um, new um, young people from migrant backgrounds. So like ethnic youth, I guess you could say. Um, and these young people were feeling pretty I think pretty disconnected from um they were, they seemed very connected to their families and to their communities mm. in the sort of Dandenong area but in terms of connection to the wider Australian community I think they felt quite isolated and um some of them were struggling you know with home with homelessness and things like that um and we did a project out there which was all about their stories. It was, you know, we generated all the content from their their experiences and, you know, what they had to say and created a piece of theatre that they, with them, that they then performed to their community. Um, and it just, um, it really brought out, it just really lifted their confidence and their belief in themselves and and their kind of hope, I think, for what they could achieve and and not to be actors either. Like I think some of them, some of them really wanted to keep going with the acting, but um, a lot of them it was more just about, it was about making connections with other young people in, in their area and friendships and, you know, that sort of social networking. Um, but also, yeah, you know, the the sort of stories at the end, they were just and you sort of see them in their body language, you know, when they first start the process, they're they're kind of, you know, the hoods are up and they're looking down and they're not sure how to be in their bodies. And, you know, by the end when they come out of their performance and they've been seen by their community and been applauded and cheered on and, you know, um and they've had an opportunity to speak their truth in front of those people um it's just this kind of it's like this 
shining light that kind of is on their faces, you know, and they're they're standing straighter and they're feeling more, um, they're feeling proud actually of themselves and that might have been something that they weren't feeling as much, you know, beforehand. So, Mm. yeah, those are sort of older older teenagers. Um, I'm just trying to think with the young ones. I think with the little ones, I've done some work with little kids. Like I, I did some work with, um, again, it was new migrant and refugee kids that were in a ESL school in um, Werribee mm. before they were, they'd spend a year there learning English before they went into the mainstream school. And so they were like little ones, like five and six and stuff. And <laughs> so, you know it's not heaps you can do in terms of building <laughs> it's more like playing heaps of fun games and you know getting we did we did dance actually the dance is quite a good one for the little ones because you know it's kind of fun to learn the moves and stuff but um yeah that you know just giving them I don't know just I guess like the teachers were so nice in that school because they I think people people that teach in that space they have a real passion for making the kids feel welcome and find their feet in their new home you know there's there's a lot going on for these little people they've moved countries and in all kinds of different circumstances and the language is new and the culture is new and everything and they're tiny so it's like you don't know what (laughs) what their brains are thinking (laughs) um but yeah just being able to go in there and just play games with them and over, you know, I was there for a couple of terms and over the terms they start to they start to learn and get more confident in the different drama games that we play and, you know, I'll start off very simple and but just getting them to express themselves and make shapes, you know, it's for them it was just um, I think it was just it was kind of like playtime but it was also educational and, yeah, they, they just really loved it. And I think that is probably the best thing for, for that particular context is just creating a really enjoyable sort of experience for them mm. um, where they're moving and dancing and, you know, um, yeah. I'm just trying to think if there are any more. I'm sure there's lots. Um, hmm. When we were talking before, Rich, um, when I, we had our chat to plan out, you were talking a little bit about self-regulation um, and what happens when kids have to oh, step yeah. into their bodies. And yeah. can you want to talk me through that again? Uh, yeah, yeah. Well, I was just thinking of, um, I was actually thinking of a, a school that I worked with. Where were they? They were out St Albans Way in Melbourne. Out, out east, is that east? Um, and yeah, they were kind of little, little-ish kids, maybe middle, middle of primary school years. And I'd noticed that when I'd asked them to to get up, and I think it was quite new to teaching at that point, teaching drama for kids. You know, I'd ask them to get up and find a partner or something. You know, which when you're doing that with adults is pretty straightforward. But before I knew it, they were like <laughs> pulling each other over and running <laughs> off and like everyone's crowded into a corner and the teacher's having to call in the riot act to kind of calm them all down. And I was like, oh, whoa, okay. <laughs> and I started to feel like um, that they they didn't know what to do with that kind of instruction, like an instruction where I'd ask them to do something physically. Um and I wondered in that moment, and I don't know if it's true, it's sort of just my own opinion, but I wondered if that was because, you know, that the setup of, of school is is so much about, you know, sitting on your bottom and um, being at your, your desk or being in, in, the, in front of the whiteboard or the mat or whatever it is and, you know, walking to the next part in rows with your hands behind your back. Like I actually <laughs> – I see that stuff with with my daughter like they have a spot in the mat that's theirs and they have to go to the same spot 
every day, you know. So it's like mm. it's very regimented. <laughs> and I wondered if, you know, if you then go in there and say, okay, find a partner, if they just like, what? I don't know what to do with this information. It's like you've told them <laughs> to, you know, go play on the monkey bars or something. And it, it's just they're on the jungle gym all of a sudden. Um, so I think, I think there is a place for drama again, to help kids to learn to, to use their bodies in a way that's not so strict and structured and to listen to instructions and, and do things that are activity based in a drama context, like, you know, making a circle or, um, getting into a group of four or something that, um, there's like a, I guess there's like a discipline that you start to to develop as you do more and more drama. And, um, you know, like there's that classic exercise we probably for older kids, but you get them to, to walk around the space and the idea is to fill all the gaps so that the room is evenly spaced with people. Yeah. You know, just something as simple as that. It actually takes a lot of, there's a lot of skills going on there because you're you're using a peripheral vision to, you know, check out who's around, but you're also walking while you're doing that and you're also looking for gaps and then you're trying to fill them and then and then you're constantly reevaluating, oh, where's the gap now? And are we clustered in a corner? Should I move over there? And so there's kind of this this group awareness, but also awareness of the self in the group that's going on. And you're you're in motion, but you're also there's also a structure and a form around that that you're trying to work with. Um, so, but back to the little kids, I think what I did is to help them through that, to help them go from sitting on your bottoms in front of the teacher to, it's like they were sitting on your bottoms in front of the teacher or like screaming and running around and there was like no in between at the start. Yep. Yes. <laughs> So I think what I did is that I, I just I, I, I used exercises, drama exercises I had that are really focused um, and that have a, stru- a tight structure until they get it, until they sort of have done it a few times and they're used to it. And then I would slowly open it up a little bit. So I might, um, there's, there's an exercise called knife and fork where you get, you get kids into pairs and you ask them to make two objects um like a knife and a fork but the idea is that they they have to do it without talking which again is almost impossible but you can keep encouraging them that's fine they don't have to actually (laughs) achieve it you can try (laughs) knife and fork and then you just count down five four three two one freeze and so having things like counting down freezing you know really clear instructions um helped them because they didn't have that time to sort of think about pulling people and climbing things. Um, And then, you know, keep the pace up. So they're always busy, but then as time goes on and they get used to the exercise, I can start to expand the instruction. So instead of saying knife and fork or bowl and spoon, I might say things like um, bicycle or um, a pot plant or I might move into more abstract space, like I might say something like hungry, you know. So we start off with individual objects and then we move into something that's more like a picture where I'm not really telling them who's going to be the pot and who's going to be the plant or who's going to be the the wheel and the handle of the bicycle. They sort of have to work that out with each other. And then when you say something like hungry, hunger or um, boredom, or joy, then then the invitation is to work out what that means for them and then find a shape in 10 seconds maybe, I'll probably give a bit more time for those sorts of more abstract concepts. But there, you know, it, there's like a real creative process that goes on there really quickly where they have to think, oh, what is that? What does that mean to me? How would I do that with my body? How do I express that with this other person? Um, Five, four, three, two, one, and then freeze. And then, you know, we can look around at all the other joys and hungers and whatever's in the class. And, you know, they they love it. They love seeing what other people have come up with and um, 
Yeah, so I think that was one way I sort of dealt with that. I love it. I, like for what? Like I'm listening to that as a teacher, and I'm like, oh my gosh, you've got so many different kinds of literacies happening in there. There's social literacy and emotional literacy, and um, you know, physical literacy. And there's like just so many things going on in the communication space and the thinking space and all the cognition that's happening. I don't like that's a magic activity. I love doing that with the older kids as well. Um, but yeah, that's a good one for some of you teachers out there who haven't done much drama before. Um, take that one on. I'd give you, you know, give it a go this week and see how you find it. I can do some homework for you. Um, <laughs> knife and fork is the game. What shapes can you make? Um, now, your kiddos um, have school in their future. So my question to you as a parent, Rachel, is what's your wish for them when they get, you know, for their education? Um, I have two. I, I think especially, so I'm in the early years experience as a parent right now and the one thing I wish there was more of is play. Um. My daughter came home, has comes home from school, and she loves school. She's really academic. She's smart. You know, she's displays the values of the school, and you know, she's loved by lots of people. But you know, she comes around and she says, "Oh, the teachers—they boss me around all day," and she she really grieved the the transition from kindy to school because the the play ratio was like so different. Mm. Um and I do, yeah I just wish I wish you know and it feels like to counteract that I have to take her out of mainstream school and find an alternative education provider and it's just like it's really full on and I don't want to do that because I think there's a lot of great stuff in the mainstream schooling system as well but yeah I just I just wish there was more playtime in the classroom and maybe that's because I value the skills that are learned through play and through drama and it doesn't have to be like just more time on the on the actual playground it could be just a bit more open-ended and a few more there's a lot of coloring in and drawing and I wonder if there are other art forms that could be brought in especially you know even in the early years beyond just color in this picture draw this picture it's a great way to Mm. The fine motor skills are really focused on, aren't they? And, like, the gross motor skills are sort of left to sport and um, those kind of things, whereas yeah, arts have a lot to offer in that space. Yeah. And, I mean, that's how kids process their world, right? Like, I'll take my daughter to the doctor to get a vaccination or whatever it is, and she'll come home and she'll play going to the doctor to get your vaccination. Like, that's how she processes her life yeah. and her experiences. So it's not just that she enjoys play she needs it mm-hmm. to to understand the world around her so I th- yeah um the other one is more for the i guess senior senior schooling years and it's just it's lo- life skills is all i can boil it down to like i i came out of high school i knew I knew pretty obscure things about chemistry and calculus maths. I did calculus at the end of high school for some strange reason. But I didn't know how to cook and I didn't know how to listen to my body. And I I did economics. I knew how to make a profit and loss sheet and a balance sheet. I knew about asset depreciation. But I didn't know about credit card and what's good debt and bad debt. I don't know how to budget or save. Like these were all things I had to learn somewhere else. So, you know, my my first flatmate taught me how to cook because he was a chef. And then um, when I went to drama school, I was introduced to yoga and that was where I learned to first really connect with my body. And I think my mum taught me about saving and how to, be smart with my finances but like if you miss some of those things in your youth you're going to make big mistakes and 
it's going to take decades to undo that sort of stuff. So I sort of think like we're at school for a long time and a lot of hours a day. And and I sort of also noticed it may have changed because, you know, it's a long time since I left high school. But the sort of the cooking classes were like for the, the kids that weren't doing very well in school. You know, it was sort of like a remedial class and they went off and made muffins or something. But actually we all need to know about healthy food <laughs> and how to eat well and how to exercise and how to look after ourselves and how to stay away from loan sharks. Like I just think those sorts of skills, I think they should be built into the curriculum somehow so teachers can give them the time that they need because, you know, I'm not, it's no shade on teachers. Like, man, they are the most overworked, underappreciated people in the workforce but you know yeah I guess as a, at a curriculum level or the school outcomes level or something I think we're not setting up our young people well if they're not coming out knowing how to manage their finances and, and their bodies mm. um yeah yeah well just for your information um the new Australian curriculum uh, has just come out and one of the recommendations that uh, my organization put forward was on human biology because it's not in there um, and <laughs> neither is the financial stuff other than your, your basic accounting so yeah it's it's not in the curriculum um, I'd like to see it there myself as well um, I think that life skill things are real it's a real equity issue because if your parents don't know how to manage their money that's gonna that's gonna get passed down that bad debt pattern Um, and the bad nutrition pattern and those are the kinds of things we really need to break into and that's where in my opinion that's what education is for um that's not how it's seen I I feel like it's still seen as being about building a profession or building some kind of rounded cultural being that is able to go into the workforce but actually if people were smart in my mind, um, they'd invest in those kind of things to save the government a lot more money down the track, wouldn't it? <laughs> yeah. That's, that's our dream there, guys. So if you know anyone in power, let's make that happen. Um, yeah, I, I'm really grateful for this conversation. And I don't know if there's anything much more to add to that unless you have something that was pressing in your mind. No, other than thank you for the invitation. And I've listened to some of your other episodes and I, I feel I feel like um, the amaz- amazing people you've interviewed and, um, yeah, feel very privileged to be, be here. So thank you. Well, I've been very lucky because just like yourself, I've had some great people come forward and just say yes. So <laughs> how good's that? Like that's a little bit of inspo for you guys. You know, um, there's been a few people out there I've just cold called on Twitter or, <laughs> um, and they just say yes um, because they're behind the idea because I think, you know, there's a lot of news out this week about the teaching crisis and what's behind that and the blame being shifted on teachers and actually needing to look more towards the system. So I think it's on a lot of people's minds and I think a lot of people really want to talk about how we can make this better, this thing we call education, so that we can make a better world. Um, so thanks for your generosity, Rachel. I'm really, I'm really appreciative. And um, it's really nice to, like I said earlier, to just have all of those mysteries put into words for those things that those drama teachers all knew, but no one else I don't think realises. So hopefully we'll see a little influx of drama coming in into the classroom a bit more regularly yeah that'd be awesome and just 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 if anyone's listening out there and they're like oh no I don't want to do it I don't you know because I feel like teachers what I've noticed is I think drama might be left a bit in the in the outer of the arts because of the confidence of teachers you know Mm. that might feel a bit more confident with the other forms so if anyone's anyone's out there listening <laughs> um just remember there's there's no right or wrong like the best thing is to just try and you know do some reading I guess or talk to some people but I think once you jump in and have a go you'll you'll sort of find your own way and that's kind of the beauty in it as well it might be a bit scary but it's also quite beautiful 
there's a lot of scope there for your own you know your own aesthetics and your own voice and your own your own students as well so yeah wonderful good advice and go create something unique as well but if you're one of those people that needs some information there's loads of blogs if you were to type in drama games for kids you'll come up with loads of information and there's the usually a drama conference in your area for teachers that will teach you a lot of tips and tricks for your age group but um and the song room also has a resource website for teachers called arts live oh yeah arts live is brilliant that all teachers can access with their email their education email there's a bunch of like videos and activity ideas on there as well Mm. Mm. well there you go guys we've got lots to work with today thanks again rachel and uh, have a good one i'll catch up with you again soon bye thanks for listening to the teacher healer podcast find more episodes and information at www.teacherhealer.com If you're enjoying what you're hearing, please rate us or refer us to your friends and colleagues. And if you care about saving the world from plastic, click on the Zero Co link in the show notes to learn what you can do to help.